0: Welcome to The Real, the podcast, where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. I'm one of your hosts, Michael. I don't know what to really say here that doesn't sound uncouth, so (laughs) I'm just going to say history is a complicated um, experience for everybody. (laughs) And This week, I am joined by my co-host friend and the man I'm going to uh, probably not say anything else because, again... History is crazy and uncouth. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll just jump right into it. How are you doing, Jesse?
1: I'm good, man. I I saw the the real-life version of the Iron Giant last weekend. Live action and everything. Never mm-hmm. thought I'd see the day.
0: Yeah, so I think uh, this week, I don't think, I know what we're going to be talking about this week, uh, which is um, we're going to be talking about Oppenheimer. Um and yeah our thoughts around that i mean if i had told you
1: in 2008 that in 15 years the guy who made the dark knight is going to create another film that will be the sensation of the year for theatrical releases and it will be Partly because it was a double feature with the Barbie movie, what would you have said, Michael?
0: Uh, I probably said that, that I don't, I don't fully believe you in that regard, but I mean, Stranger Things have happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: pretty wild, um, but yeah, Oppenheimer was one of the most anticipated releases of. This year for especially, you know, for the summer season, um, it is by Christopher Nolan, who always has this sort of event type of feel for his films. Um, at least he has achieved that, if not every film in particular has lived up to that level of hype. But he uh, he's kind of one of those guys that you are still intrigued by whenever you hear he's making something and it increases the likelihood that it's something that you'll probably want to see not only in the theater, but possibly in IMAX. So despite uh, more of his recent filmography, not being of the same caliber or maybe being a little too ambitious in some ways and lacking in others, he still does have that, Prestige that follows him. See what I did there, and uh, yeah, yeah, I felt that coming into Oppenheimer, and there's not a whole lot of filmmakers like that. So I think
0: it's pretty cool that he still lives up to that. Yeah, no, it is pretty cool that he um, incepts some thought process into your uh, <laughs> done right Kirk mind and. Uh, interstellarly gets you some really cool things with Tenet. (laughs) Did I do it right, Jesse? All right. I deserve that one. but I I
1: was trying to make a legitimate point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, sorry. Um, No, I think you're right on with the money of kind of just his he has done a really good job of making himself, like you said, that big showcase thing, but also it doesn't always feel like what he's doing. And like it almost, again, it feels like he's one of those directors who's like, Hey, I want to do some stuff, but the only way to do these things is to like get money back behind. He's, he feels very James Cameron. uh, where it's like, Hey, I want to do this cool thing, but the only way they'll pay me money to do it is if I make a movie about it. So, Guess we're going to go take a look at the Titanic um, <laughs> for the
1: hundredth time or however many times he's been down there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, or, you know, I I, I want to figure out how to make, you know, water effects even 10 times better than I previously did. And we're going to figure out how that needs to work. So I feel like Nolan has a very similar kind of, he has these artistic visions in mind, which I totally support in that he's an artist with a vision and he does very cool things, but I do agree. Sometimes it does feel like he has a lot of hype around him mm. and then not always living up to the hype, just kind of it's cool for people like me that want to go watch, um, you know, interesting visual effects sometimes other times it's interesting and provocative stories uh, sometimes it's interesting and out there concepts and other times it actually does come together in a nice little package and molds the visual story and concepts into a very nice neat little package that actually is fun to watch in its own
1: yeah 100 and we are going to talk about the movie but i feel like this is an interesting uh, way to begin the conversation because when you think of filmmakers that we've kind of to the height of their prominence, you know, as you know, teenagers and now adults, um, Nolan is certainly, you know, one of the first names that comes up in that group. And I feel like when a Hollywood director, you know, essentially just keeps knocking it out of the park, time out of the time, does the studio gigs, you know, has, you know, a resounding amount of success uh, establishing themselves. They kind of reach a point where they're so, like, trusted and respected that they're allowed to go out on a limb more and more often and sort of have that full creative control over everything. And sometimes you reap the rewards of that and it's great. And then other times we get kind of what you were alluding to where, I mean, this was a cool idea and all, but as a film, it doesn't entirely work. um, And it's not going to be something that you probably will want to sit down and watch a second time. And I feel like Nolan and others, you know, who are, you know, big famous directors kind of, Fall into this, and it's not a bad thing. It's just when you are trying to do something different all the time, not everything's going to hit. Like you're you're bound to miss, no matter how good you are.
0: Yeah, you uh, miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, but do you have to miss some of the <laughs> shots you do. Type thing. That's a, a nice reworking of
1: the original quote by Wayne Gretzky <laughs> or by Michael Scott depending on if you watch The Office or not. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, uh, I, I feel like he kind of fell into that for a while. And some of his more recent films, kind of a miss for me. But I was really looking forward to seeing this. And I was curious to see, can he still provide the visual spectacle and be innovative in some ways, which he's clearly so fond of and is always striving to do while simultaneously can he give us something that has stronger character work and is a more tightly wound script and isn't a little bit all over the place for you know the other reasons that we like to go to the movies Um, and I felt optimistic coming into that what did you think overall for what he was able to deliver is in terms of like a full package this time
0: Yeah, I think this one, I like the story. Uh, Also, sorry, just going to put it here at the top. Uh, This is a movie based around historical events. So it's kind of hard. I I always struggle with this in my thought process of being like, do do we put spoiler warnings at the top of something that's going to be like, hey, if you, you know, read a book, you you know, know what's happening here. um, I'm going to, you know, say it right now. Surprise. They actually, they, they make the bomb. Um so like uh we're we're not going to really get too spoilery unless it's something like pretty critical or maybe something lesser known or a particular moment but uh yeah no I think he did Nolan did a good job here of kind of making a very visually impressive movie I was loved the aesthetic pieces of the visual effects as well as the, not not the score, the other thing for sound, the, was the soundscape. We'll just call it that for right now because I'm blanking. Um <laughs> Fair enough. But the integration he did, I feel like in showcasing a lot of Oppenheimer's more, potentially harder to depict personality traits. Uh, Oppenheimer did struggle very hard uh, historically with uh, depression. Um, He was also at one point diagnosed with what was uh, schizophrenia. So you knew more about Oppenheimer. Yeah. Historically going into this. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I I was curious because I was like, I knew generally about Oppenheimer. Um, from just like you know, in, being a, a general nerd that enjoys playing like World War II games and things like that, and so it sometimes comes up. And, so I knew around him. I knew about the the whole Manhattan Project. I knew about uh, the base. Uh, I knew about the testing. I knew kind of a bit about that he got like black. I knew that he got blacklisted. I wasn't. An, I didn't know the full story behind it really. Mm-hmm but I did like the fact that it touched on a lot of Eric kind of showcasing Oppenheimer as a human with a complex and complicated human. I did enjoy that. And they showed a lot of his uh, shortcomings. Yeah, we'll say shortcomings. Um, Everybody's got them. Everyone's got them. We're, We're all humans um they showed some of his shortcomings uh, through not only storytelling and dialogue and you know he was like yeah i slept with that guy's wife but he never knew about it and it was like talking about one of his best friends or one of his friends i should say sure. or the kind of moments that it showcased a little bit of like his depression uh i think i can uh, there's vividly I, i'm thinking of like him just throwing a glass against the ground repeatedly and could be interpreted as something of somebody trying to, you know, understand the world and this, this explosive power that's happening. But also, you know, I've seen uh, in other media that that's depicted as somebody who's going through alcoholism and depression and stuff like that. So the anxiety moments of sound and vibrations and the visual effects that came across his eyes and him closing his eyes uh, to kind of block some of that out. I think Nolan did a very good job of communicating a lot of different elements that are harder to get across in a purely visual medium with somebody who's having a mental experience and in very internal and experience in this movie did I think he did a great job with the story I mean it's history I know that they probably (laughs) took they had to take some liberties but also from what I've been reading and seeing online it kind of tracks with you know they kept a lot of the stuff in the same place they didn't like suddenly change too many things around make a one character suddenly a male that was female or anything like that so yeah um would I watch it again like you were saying uh, I think I, I probably won't be going back to this one every year. It was kind of, it was an emotional, um, uh, it was an emotional slog to say the least, just all the implications and what was happening and what it meant and where we are. And yeah, so it's a lot to take on. It is, and it's a lot to take in for a very long period of time.
1: Yeah, you definitely know you're in a three-hour movie. I wouldn't say it drags, necessarily, but, I mean, because everything feels so bleak for the duration of the runtime, even in, you know, the pre- you know Manhattan Project moments, because they don't always stay in the present, they do, or in the... They don't tell you know in sequential order. I guess from the beginning of his life to the end, they kind of they start in a certain time period and then jump back and forth like you know you've seen in a hundred movies before. So I feel like even in those moments when we're getting to know him as you know a young aspiring you know brilliant young man that he is um, that there's still kind of, you know, this, all this foreshadowing over ultimately where he's going to wind up. So in that sense, it does kind of weigh on you throughout and that can, you know, make you feel fairly exhausted by the end of the three hour runtime. But um, I also, when it comes to what is essentially, you know, they're, you know, it's not, A biopic even it's just them adapting a particular period of history into a movie i always tend to give the filmmakers and you know the writers a grain of salt and the benefit of the doubt with everything because it's not a documentary so if they do change things that's not going to be a deal breaker for me because i'm not taking everything i'm seeing as fact necessarily so but it's always good to hear that they do you know a pretty good job of being faithful to what actually happens you know it's not necessary but it's nice when they can make that happen i think also it helped that uh they adapted the screenplay from the novel american prometheus and that was probably their north star for everything they were doing as you know this was in pre-production
0: yeah back to that, back to my comment on like it, you know, it's history, it's, uh, you know, a book, there's been lots of books and lots of different people have written about it. Um, We can, you know, go back to look at historic documents and see this stuff, but it was cool to see many of these places, people kind of brought to life in this that I really appreciated, like being able to be, to make the connections and understand parts of the story that were vague and unclear to me uh like i you know were vague and unclear to me like the like i was talking about the you know i knew that he got blacklisted but i didn't realize that it was like a whole like conspiracy or not conspiracy a whole uh you know fabricated constructed element that happened um mm-hmm. so that was really cool and fun to learn and like see that develop through the movie and i think in that regard too i nolan did a wonderful job of taking this story and kind of putting it as uh, t- uh telling two points of uh two povs throughout the entire thing by easily just switching the uh the color from uh you know color to black and white just kind of alternating as they went along depending on whose story was what and it was very easy to tell like which he's done before and like memento Yeah, and I think it's such an easy shorthand to be like, hey, this is this person's point of view, this this person's point of view, and even titling them, um, I think it was like Fission and Fusion, if I remember correctly. No. At the beginning, that kind of just tells you like, hey, story one is color and it's fusion, and then uh, story two is black and white, and that's uh, uh, Fission. So that was wonderfully done (laughs) i really like that and then even small other little details that were in there with um at one point to kind of showcase oppenheimer's ability to understand i think he spoke or at least understood like nine languages um and to showcase that there was that one very brief scene almost a blink and you'll miss it moment of like two people talking in um i think it was german if i remember correctly and Oppenheimer was walking up and they were talking in German. And as soon as he got close and the one guy turned to him, he suddenly started. It went from him talking German to him talking English. And yeah. that was to showcase that like Oppenheimer knew the, what language that guy was speaking. And perhaps understood it as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know,
1: they couldn't, they couldn't uh, communicate secretly. <laughs> you know, like they could around all the other dumb Americans. <laughs> yeah. No, that's. I'm glad you brought that stuff up because I feel like part of the benefit or silver lining to him creating something that, you know, is based on history and is using this, you know, biography or auto, or no, biography as. His sort of, you know, uh, north star for you know the screenplay is that it did kind of force him, I think, to lean into other areas of his craft that we maybe have been missing for a while, because he did showcase a lot of these things when he first started out. These techniques, both visually and with little cues like that, to help tell us something about be story or characters without telling us anything directly he's always been able to flex these and put these in his films but I I sense that he was able to maybe focus on them more because he was not just completely off in his own innovative visually spectacular world where you know maybe that focus kind of tilts that way whenever he's doing something that ambitious. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of what it felt like to me.
0: Yeah, I can think so. Talking about his most recent movie, uh, Tenet. Uh, Which, to A, be fair, I have not seen. So. Okay. If you do see it, put it subtitles on, I'm telling you right now. I've heard uh, bad things about the dialogue. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> In that one, um, there is a, again, a very interesting premise that happens and is going on in the movie. And I'm trying not to spoil it. Um, but to your point, Jesse, it is interesting that you're talking about the fact that he is given so much rain in that, that it is just so cool but there's no moments really of like good slowdown and like story building and, and and conversation pieces. Um, Whereas I feel like in this one, there are moments of visual uh, visual acuity and impressiveness that you can take a moment to see and then, you know, go back to a kind of a calm uh, scene where it's conversations happening and a story progression is happening. With this, it's whereas in Tenet, there is just like things are flying at you. Things are happening. Some dialogue happens here. Maybe you don't hear this one thing. Concepts are really crazy. And it just is so much more ridiculous. And it's interesting to see him have to kind of pull that back to be able to tell a story kind of like in Dunkirk, where I feel like in Dunkirk, because it was much more grounded, it was a better movie uh interstellar again weird out there concepts that i i have a personal opinion on interstellar i don't think it's a very good movie um i think it's poorly written because the scientists in it are d- idiots uh <laughs> but then like i feel like the combination of this is like that uh, inception where there is good story impressive graphics and i feel like he's kind of treading down this uh, you know he's He's on one of those pathways that you have when you're in playing a video game and there's like, you could either go 100% evil or 100% good and then but there's still technically kind of a middle ground. And I feel like he's kind of just flipping forth back and forth from those between doing, you know, interstellar crazy science fiction and weirdness and Dunkirk crazy, impressive visuals, but a historic piece that you kind of tells you a specific story. Tenet, crazy science fiction and (laughs) crazy visuals. And then Oppenheimer, back to kind of historical, like grounded impressiveness. So So his next movie is going to be crazy visual spectacle then again. I I don't, I mean, I don't know. He did do some sort of (laughs) short, I'm looking at his filmography right now, and he did do some sort of short documentary film. Um, in 2015 which I haven't seen so I don't know maybe this broke the mold but yeah I'm glad you brought up Dunkirk because I do think
1: that film is well made it's certainly you know a hellish uh, dramatically gripping uh, period of history that they're telling and my god what an awful situation but um, I think one of the shared criticisms of dunkirk is that you don't really get a sense of any of the characters as individuals and that's not really the story they were trying to tell and that's okay but i feel like sometimes when that's absent, people kind of struggle to get behind your film if they don't have anybody that they feel like they can identify with or anyone that resonates with them as a character. And I thought, here in Oppenheimer, uh, you do get more of those quiet character-building moments and, you know, terse exchanges or, you know, character revealed through dialogue that was lacking in Dunkirk, and this feels more like kind of a melding of what he was doing earlier in his career when he first started out with like memento and insomnia, et cetera, and melding that together with you know the the history and some of the spectacle that uh, of Dunkirk and what they're tr- trying to do here in Oppenheimer, so it has that feel of an, an event film, but it's it's more grounded and you actually get to know the characters and so you kind of have a full experience and that's. It's been a while for me since I felt that way coming out of a Nolan movie. Fair, 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 fair. And I would say probably my favorite movie he's done since Inception. So I, I was glad to see, you know, in my opinion, it kind of felt like a, a bit of a return to his, his full potential that, you know, that he's shown before. I would want to ask you, too, because I know you're big on this type of stuff. How did you feel about like the set design, the costume design, all of those different elements and techniques in terms of how they were able to present this specific period
0: in time? Yeah, no, I think it was... I think they did a very good job of putting us in the correct spaces. Uh, The clothing, costume, all that. It felt very realistic. With the time period and even just kind of. I didn't like at any point go like, wow, that dialogue feels like how somebody would be talking nowadays at any point, like I sometimes get jerked out of a moment because like someone's like. That's whack, yo type stuff. Sure. Um, not not uh true to <laughs> the time period. Right. I, I never felt that way at any point. It did always feel very organic. Uh obviously this I mean this we're talking about a time period that's not actually that far in our past. Um not too long ago, but certainly distinct in some way. Yes. Um so it was fun I would say to see like how they were doing a lot of this stuff. Like they really built these things. Uh, There was very little, from my understanding, CGI used in this movie at all. Maybe some slight enhancements and like for after uh, practical effects were done. But a lot of it was in camera work. Uh, The explosions, a lot of the visual visual storytelling, the vision of Oppenheimer. um, A lot of that was done actually there in camera and was just cool and fascinating to see. And I loved it. A lot of the stuff through so much of the steps of this movie, just taking you through it and showcasing that all to you. More of a old school filmmaking approach. Yes, exactly. Very, very back to basics, very roots. Yeah.
1: And that's why I kind of felt, you know, across the board, this felt like what, we used to see from him more so than what we've seen from him recently and i think that's that's a good point we I mean, we talk about it a lot it's you know it's going to look you know as impressive as it does now you know for quite some time and i always love that benefit of you know trying to rely more on practical effects and what you can shoot with the camera as opposed to what you might be able to create on a hectic uh, editing slash post-production schedule. Yeah. It you, is you interesting. Set, you set yourself up for <laughs> more re, uh, more reasonable success when
0: you take that approach. Yes, I agree. I think uh, this does a good job. So in my opinion, actually, hold on. We're going to step back question for you jesse sure how do you feel this movie depicted the situation around the construction of the atomic bomb um i feel
1: like it was a pretty somber approach to all that um i felt like it tried to not focus too much on that as the core of the movie but like one of the main reasons why this man ultimately turned out to be a a bit of a tragic figure in some respects so more of like a a reason for why he turned out the way he did rather than the the crux of the whole narrative
0: if that makes sense yeah it kind of does yeah i was just It's it's a consistent thing that I people have brought up and talked about, and I feel like I personally feel like they walked this interesting line of showcasing real humans. Uh In my opinion, of the process that they went through, many of these scientists were working very hard and diligently on this project. They, for many different reasons, uh, patriots uh, because they were essentially told that they had to uh, for the pure fact that they were trying to develop this and, you know, be on this cutting edge. And I think the gym scene, which I th- personally feel is one of the most is one of the most poignant scenes, the entire movie does this entire setup of. And this goes back to my love of the soundscape of the movie, where we, as the movie's going on, we consistently hear this rumbling noise and we realize where that rumbling noise is coming from in that gym scene. And it plays with so many different things of Oppenheimer really, truly embracing the fact of, you know, he helped make the thing that was dropped on the Japanese and the devastation that that means, and the visual aesthetics of that, and the loss of sound, the development of sound, the uh, blinding lights, the after effects of said bomb being dropped, he's visually seeing all of them. And then not only that, but the people around him. There's people that are cheering, there are people that are screaming, there are people that are uh, weeping and sobbing openly There is people, there's a, a one instance of a person vomiting outside who looks ashamed of the fact that Oppenheimer has seen him vomiting and mm-hmm. just so much of it, just, I feel like just does a really good job of showcasing that these people, yes, were incredibly excited that they were able to complete this, but the complex and horrific emotions that they, so many of them must have felt around this completion of this project uh, in real life, because it truly is something that so many of them were torn on. There's that scene where they talk about the idea of, should we let them do this? But they're also, they're pointing out they're scientists. And you see quickly, once the bomb is done, suddenly Oppenheimer's opinion as one of the most important people in this project just quickly fades away he no longer is important they do not give a crap about what his opinion is and they just bulldoze right over him
1: yeah and that level of social commentary lends itself pretty (laughs) and maybe it hits a little too close to home in the political climate of today um but yeah they they do weave those aspects. And I think everything is pretty carefully yet efficiently done. I don't think it tries to hammer you over the head too much with that stuff, but it's certainly, you know, it is part of his story and part of how events actually unfolded. So it seems like that was probably the smart choice was to present it in that way it's a very powerful scene in that uh it's like a little auditorium or gymnasium or something i, I don't mm-hmm. know but um i know the scene you're talking about and of course all the effects with the lights and the rumbling and how the volume of those effects change uh depending on where he's at in his life story or in, in this movie which I is of course is very clever um but then I think you also see character revealed in the smaller scenes too with I think particularly I mean they're more or less interrogation scenes even though they're supposed to be some type of legal proceeding but uh, yeah and you get to see, I think character manifest itself in the way that people react to kind of being on, being on guard in terms of, do we stick our necks out for him and try and, you know, protect his reputation because he showed us integrity in these moments, or do we kind of grab a shovel and pile on a little bit to, you know, save our own necks and that, i think is different depending on which character is in the chair which is a pretty simple technique but i think it it helps build up you know the the differing characters and their motivations for your film and it worked well here
0: yeah it does and if you're going in to be clear if you're going into this story expecting a very linear story from like you know beginning middle end you are not going to get that you have to be paying attention uh or you will miss things um don't be don't get me wrong i think there's uh i was just talking to Lindsay, and there was some sort of joke tiktok thing about like it, it's like super hard to keep track of all of the white brunette haired uh guys in this movie and Yeah, remember all their names which i Definitely agree with and totally understand. There's like exactly one blonde dude um, and it's Heisenberg and he's only in like one small part, but everybody else is pretty much either. Oh, sorry. I apologize. Albert Einstein has white hair. Um, <laughs> yeah. Man, don't Discriminate against the white hair. Come on now. Yeah. Um, but it's heavily, 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 uh, you know, just white dudes with brown hair. And it is kind of hard to keep track of everybody that is in this movie. And especially if you don't know all of the historic figures or the scientists that were involved in this, you're just like, oh, cool. That's oh, hey, that's the guy from Numbers. Fun. Um, that's the guy from Jake and Josh. Cool. Like, that's all you can really go off of. Or Like, oh, that's the guy from The Boys. And then like he's in one scene and then he don't see him for like. 30 minutes and then he suddenly pops up playing the bongos and you're just like, OK, what's going on here? <laughs> um, I can understand people I was reading some reviews that were talking about like uh, even the, the whole like chapter one chapter two things people are like they dropped that that's dumb and it's like well it's not dumb if you understood what they were doing and paid attention that those there are only two chapters in this story it's just not told chapter one beginning middle end chapter two beginning middle end it's told chapter one beginning then some in the middle then some in the the, the end some in the middle then chapter 2 and stuff like that and so it kind of bounces around and i think that also helps with the narrative of like this is a messy situation oppenheimer mm-hmm. being opposed to dropping the bombs on uh oppenheimer being opposed to the continued development of nuclear weapons but still saying that it, we not going against the decision to drop them on japan but also saying we should have dropped that. We were building a limit to drop on the Nazis. Historically saying those things, it kind of shows you the messiness of the situation in the complexity of the issues at hand here of these development of these, these gadgets uh, and then eventually the development of these nuclear weapons. And they might not have lit the atmosphere on fire when they first tested it, but it feels like we, as continued generations of people are slowly, slowly, slowly and unfortunately quickening more recently with today's political world going towards that lighting the entire atmosphere upon fire. Yeah.
1: It was uh, a spark for a a very long powder keg, essentially. Very long fuse. Very long fuse on a powder keg, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Um. yeah and I mean they're not wrong so <laughs> it may be uncomfortable and unpleasant to think about but I think there were good reasons to portray it that way I think I'm glad I didn't have everything spoon fed to me in terms of where we are at exactly in this moment in the narrative <laughs> in the movie kind of holding my hand but I can, like you said, can totally understand getting a little confused, especially when a character has a brief introduction, pretty much looks the same as everybody else, like you said, then is maybe not seen for a while, but is still alluded to by his name, which you maybe heard like once or twice in passing. So that does get a little difficult to keep track of. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, too, one thing I like that Nolan just does sometimes, and I think he partly does it to try and involve more actors, especially maybe some that he's respected um, but maybe hasn't had the chance to work with. Because Josh Hartnett is in this movie, which I had no idea (laughs) the old squinty eyes was going to be (laughs) And freaking oppenheimer i guess he just can't resist a good world war ii epic but um he's in this movie like nolan has used say like tom berenger in inception which i couldn't remember when i had last seen tom berenger before i saw that movie so i i don't know it's a small thing but i always admire when (laughs) an actor is plucked out of obscurity basically and put in a really famous movie, even if it's just a supporting role.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you got some money to spend around, like I'm assuming Nolan has when he gets to do these types of things. Sure. And I mean, if you, yeah, you can bring him in. Why not? It's fun.
1: Um, But I thought the cast all did a really good job. Um, I think Killian Murphy did you know, a really exceptional job in this lead role. He always really brings it with his accents. So, and, you know, I think an Irish guy who can do, <laughs> can do a U.S. accent that well is, you know, pretty talented in my book. Um, I think just the way that he emotes without saying anything and his facial expressions have always really impressed me. And I'm glad he got a chance to kind of flex some different muscles here, you know, seeing as people know him as Red Eye or Scarecrow or, you know, from Peaky Blinders. So this was a a chance for him to do something a little different. And I felt that same way for uh, Robert Downey as well, who seemingly has been Tony Stark in both fiction and in real life for like 15 years now. And this is the first time in a while we kind of got to see him present himself a little differently in a film and, and not be, you know, so quick to a joke or, you know, so, you know, full of snipes and, you know, verbal barbs and all that, but more so really this man who thinks he was slighted and sort of makes it his, his life's motivation to, to ruin this guy that he used to respect and to have that really grounded personal motivation again was something that I'm, I was pretty sure he would be able to do, but I'm sure it felt good for him to actually get out and like I said, do something a little different.
0: Yeah. I did feel like there was a little Tony Stark in him. Um, It's it's hard not to see it when, (laughs) with this point.
1: Because that's so famous. So yeah, I would agree.
0: But it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. Like after a period of time when we kind of, I felt like I was like, oh okay, I'm I'm seeing his own character here, mm-hmm. uh develop and showcase and stuff. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay, I, I'm on board. I'm on board now. And
1: I mean, really, everybody. But I think also. Uh, Emily Blunt and your girl crush, Florence Pugh both uh, brought it in waves for this as well. So yeah,
0: nice job by everybody all around. I think uh, Emily Blunt's uh, depiction was uh, pretty interesting. I did understand that uh, people were, I've seen online talking about that. It wasn't really necessary. She did trouble, did have some trouble with alcoholism. um, And it does also seem like they not not just to be clear, uh, uh, Kitty Oppenheimer, but also, uh, you know, Robert uh, seemed like they had a very struggle with children. <laughs> um, and there's that whole scene where they bring their son over and like give them to the communist guy. Who uh-huh. I can't. Um, and they kind of like have that moment. They also did, apparently. I was doing a little more research and learned that they also did that with their daughter as well. Um, So it seemed like they both struggled with being able to be strong or any sort of uh, parental figure, um, which I could, uh, which I assume probably affected them long term in their life. She could not hand over that kid fast enough (laughs) when they got to that house. (laughs) Yeah. She could not wait. I did also enjoy the fact that uh, with Florence Pugh's character, uh, they kind of just ever so briefly touched on the implications, which was kind of seen that maybe she didn't commit suicide. Maybe it was something like the uh, government agency saw the issue that maybe Oppenheimer was giving her secrets or was easily swayed by her. And so they, they might've had her killed, you know, question mark um something a little more clandestine or sinister yeah exactly which was interesting like it was so brief so small uh like blink and you'll miss it type moment but it could have but also maybe it was an unreliable narrator maybe it's you know the visions of oppenheimer hoping that that's what actually happened in a small way of like maybe it's like she didn't kill herself um so it was it was very interesting seeing that stuff And the way that
1: she played the character, like either of those outcomes would make sense, like based on her mindset and her role in his life, I guess. Right, exactly. So no, no, that was, that was well done. Uh, Matt Damon is about what you would expect (laughs) from Matt Damon and with the role that he's playing, which was fine. It was entertaining. Um, I did enjoy all the Drake and Josh memes that popped up from Josh Peck's two to five minutes of screen time. <laughs> yeah, man, you got to send me some of those. This those... must be I'll great. Look, I'll, I'll find some more. But uh, yeah, if you're if you're a if you're a Drake and Josh fan, you're you're in for a treat after you see <laughs> this movie. Um, so yeah, I mean it. It's hard to. I guess kind of get into all the different performances solely because it doesn't focus too much on any particular character outside of, you know, those that we've mentioned, but it's not to say that anybody was bad. It's just that, you know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of things, including, you know, how well the actors were in the, we're doing in this, Mm -hmm. but no, I, I expect this will, you know, it's, it's gotten a lot of acclaim. I expect if there is an Academy Awards next year, this is going to be up for <laughs> a number of
0: awards. So that'll be yeah. to see some people rewarded for their hard work on this. I'm excited to see. I saw a thing that talked about it's going to be an interesting year when, um, when uh, this and Barbie get nominated for best uh, like supporting <laughs> actor and it's robert downey jr in this and yeah yeah so Costume design set design yeah it's gonna be very interesting <laughs> to see the, these two go again be back you know Bar Barbenheimer uh joining up which is interesting to me because i saw people like talking about like could you have possibly have seen this happen blah 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 this like cutesy thing with this like grim dark thing and i was like apparently not enough people were around in the gaming sphere when uh, Doom and Animal Crossing came out at the same time. There's a bunch of memes about that. So, hey, something dark, something
1: light—they always go well together. Yeah, I remember the local drive-in used to show something like Finding Nemo, but then pair it with like an R-rated action movie. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a tried and true approach that I guess we just all rediscovered since. Haven't been in the movies as much recently, right? <laughs> so, no, bring it on. I'm Barbenheimer around, too. I'm, I'm stoked, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, uh, one other thing I wanted to share really quickly, uh, and maybe I missed this, but I wanted to think. So, you know, Oppenheimer's brother in the movie, right?
1: Yes, I forget his name, but I remember the character,
0: yeah. Uh, Frank is his name, Frank, right? uh Did you know that he was his own physicist? (laughs) Really? Yeah. Okay, good. I I didn't pick up on that at all. I thought he was just like a rancher or like some sort of academic. Uh, Like I figured he was an academic since they were kind of hanging out in the same area with those Mm -hmm. parties at the beginning. I had no idea that he was his own physicist and that he went on to do his own. uh, He was blacklisted for a very long time because he was part of the Communist Party uh um and you know you did freaking uh you know the red scare and all that crap um but he went on to eventually was able to become a teacher again which he seemed to be really passionate about he even built an uh uh like a interactive like museum for physics um so it was just cool and interesting and then i kind of was like when I learned all that, I was like, well, that's sad that they just kind of made him look like he was just some guy walking around being like, I like cows <laughs> and I know space. But like yeah. there was actually re- better reason for him to be on the Oppenheimer pro- or uh, on the Manhattan Project and work with Oppenheimer and was the one that figured out where they should place the location of the bomb. And not just because he's like, you know, or the test site, not just because he's like, I know open land. <laughs>
1: wow doesn't sound like every character was faithfully adapted to the screen but at the very least with stuff like that at least it encourages people to do some research about the actual people and you know you can learn some more about that which you may not have done if not for the movie so that's ultimately a good thing i feel like yeah that's crazy though
0: what a what a family of show-offs jeez yeah, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love learning about their history that they, uh, their father, um, you might have caught it the reference when Oppenheimer is talking to um, uh, Strauss and no. he like, Oppenheimer pronounces his name in like the kind of the more Jewish way, but then uh, Strauss corrects him and is like, nope, it's this pronunciation, the more non Jewish way. And he, says like oh i know what it's I, he's like i can relate to you as a made man like you know self-made man and yeah. not because oppenheimer was a self-made man no his father oppenheimer's father immigrated from germany to the united states as a teenager and literally came here with nothing in his pockets and worked his way up from ha- immigrating from germany with nothing in his pockets to starting to work in a textile mill to eventually having them live in a Manhattan apartment where they actually had original works of art, uh, by Picasso and other such artists. I mean, even without the art, I've seen current rent prices for Manhattan (laughs) apartments. So yeah, that's damn impressive. Yeah. And like other historical things that I found was interesting is that the, um, whole apple poisoning scene. Yeah. Um, so from my understanding, he didn't have he didn't inject it into the Apple. He like put, he coded the outside of it. Not that big of a deal of things, but he didn't get Scott. He uh, Oppenheimer didn't get away with it. Like he wasn't like, oh, look, there was a wormhole in that threw it away. And like no one noticed the school actually found out about it. And uh, he was. Uh, uh, discharged. Uh, why can't expelled. I think of the word? Thank you. Uh, expelled but he it wasn't a crime they did they like his his rich father like talked them down from like charging him with a crime <laughs> man from attempted murder and you just can't go to that school anymore yeah so <laughs> I, I mean that's like that's the crazy thing right like the whole idea of like the um the apple and you, you feel like that's like just something purely made up for the movie, but that actually happened. So. Yeah. And sometimes you don't want to go too far with
1: it because, Hey, we're already at three hours here, but <laughs> you throw something like that in, just almost like a nod to, you know, this was a real thing and go learn more about it. If you want to. Exactly. No, that's cool. That that was funny. I mean, who would want to poison Kenneth Brown? I mean, no but well,
0: so i mean I'll throw the apple away he was kind of a jerk oh sorry no no he wasn't uh his tu- his tutor was a jerk his tutor was a jerk yeah yes uh,
1: no kenneth brown hasn't been a jerk since uh chamber of secrets maybe when he was lockhart oh yeah there you go yeah that's true <laughs> so it's it's been a hot minute but uh, no i i like that they included stuff like that and Again, I I bet a lot of people are going to read that biography now, and you know, not a bad time for us to be learning more about this specific period in time, given
0: where we currently find ourselves. So, yeah, between great world wars and uh, political whataboutisms and almost. McCarthy era, uh, you know, McCarthyisms, type stuff going on. Yeah, it seems like a good time.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: in the end, man, I I'm just glad
1: to see a Nolan movie, you know, that worked for me and then was well received by others. I'm glad to see him kind of return to his roots in some ways while still bowing us and others. And as bleak as it was, I am glad that I saw the movie and I. I probably will come back to this one, although I don't know how too often given how uh, just, man, you just feel so downtrodden by the end. It's rough. But um, I, my only other question for you, you saw this in IMAX, correct?
0: Uh, we didn't see it in IMAX. We saw it in fancy big screen, but not full IMAX. So we tried to do IMAX, but it was just, we couldn't get it to work. So like you still saw it,
1: and essentially digital right
0: yeah very yeah very yeah digital
1: it was okay. yeah so we were the same it's kind of hard to find a true like 70 millimeter imax theater <laughs> in colorado almost impossible
0: yeah it, that was our that was our issue we we both uh lindsey and i both said we were like hey we want to see this in imax but it was just to get tickets to find times that it was happening it was just uh it was a royal pain in the ass, so. Yeah, I mean, there are not very many
1: true IMAX theaters anyway, and then the, like, most famous one is at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, which does not exactly do, like, general public screenings for just movies that are out, so, no, I I was a little surprised at that, I guess, because I don't, go out of my way to seek out IMAX very often. And then when I read more about it, I saw, oh, wow, this is actually a pretty exclusive type of theater nationwide as well. Like there's not very many of them. No. So I feel like they didn't explain that super well when they were (laughs) telling people to go see this in IMAX. So that. Well, yeah,
0: they were just like, go do this thing that's super rare and hard to find. Yeah. If you can't su- suck it. That's my
1: main gripe about the movie as a whole. Is I feel like I kind of got bait and switched to try and find like a knockoff IMAX theater when I could have probably just seen it anywhere and had almost the same experience.
0: Yeah. I, And that's one of the fun things about those. Uh, that, the one we go to pretty frequently here, the that 910. Yeah. Um, where we, when we do that one special fancy blah, blah, blah drexrml dc whatever version screen they're like this is black this is black you're going to be seeing in the movie and i'm like but you're showing it to me right now like there's no reason i could like you couldn't just make that the 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 left side of the screen lighter and the right side of the screen could be like any other screen and i couldn't honestly tell you the difference since i'm sitting in the movie theater right now like sure i'll take your word for it and it's like brighter brights and they do like that flaming flash thing and i'm like I, I, that guy breathing fire and i'm like again i have no frame of reference for this i'm not like watching two movie screens at the same time <laughs> so yeah yeah and
1: my eye is a bit untrained when it comes to deciphering the differences between the two anyway so exactly if if you say so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna take it as fact because I'm already here but yeah so yeah uh, that was my main gripe for the film they kind of I feel like they just threw that in there to give theaters a little more love for their little
0: slightly pricier show times yeah but I think if you haven't seen it it's definitely worth going to see in theaters the sound oh, yeah. I think the sound is something you need to and I'm going to say feel uh, many times, like you could feel the vibrations, which I really appreciated because it was important. I felt like to some of the moments, uh, the visual it's impressive, the visual effects on the screen that are that big that I don't think you'll be able to really experience at home in the same way.
1: No. it. And again, I mean, this had the reputation of being an in theater event type of film and it and that aspect definitely you know lives up to the hype and if you can definitely try and go experience it in theaters just don't um, go out of your way for this theater you'll probably be fine wherever you go
0: <laughs> yeah i would even say potentially a matinee or a dollar movie store or a, not a dollar movie store but, uh, like a five dollar theater Oh, yeah. Like
1: Deadpool says, like there's something wrong with saving money or, you know, being home before dark.
0: (laughs) Exactly. On that note, I think I'm good, man. Perfect. All right. We'll wrap it up here. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to Hit The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. Uh, We try to get this podcast out weekly, usually on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays, depending on how much I'm doing that weekend. But hey, if we got anything wrong or if we missed a very interesting historical fact from this time period that was involved around this, uh, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, feel free to email us at hittherealpodcast at gmail.com Again, that's hit at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And uh, feel free to take a look in the description of the episode for our Patreon. We'd, we'd love the support and like always, hey, keep it real.